ladies and gentlemen, there has been a murder, and you are a suspect. Oh, this is so fabulous. Ain't nothing like getting together with family and having a good meal. I wonder what's for dinner. This is delicious. It was at this moment he knew. This is rotten. Ah! What'd you say? I said eat. <laughs> Drink. The other day, I was just using the bathroom. And, you know, whenever sometimes you have a little rain, there's a little thunder. I follow where you're and, going And with when this. you're working from home, there's no issue. You know what I'm saying? No. You just let it rip. But whenever you're at work, you try to try to, you know, just ease it out a little bit. And hopefully it doesn't make too much of a sound. Well, you my body had just... clap too loudly. Right. I'd just been used to not having to worry about that. And so I was just doing my business and let a nasty one out. Like, <laughs> you could taste it. And as soon as I do, the new guy in the office just shows up. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, he probably won't stay too long. But anyway, <laughs> so let's get this thing started. So, yeah, what are we talking about today, man? Get, let's well, get into it. Well, what... what what are we doing? We're still doing South Carolina strange South, South, strange South Carolina strange and Yeah, yeah. In this week's episode, we're traveling back to 19th century Edgefield, South Carolina, and talking about the devil in petticoats herself, Becky Cotton. Yes, and a little shout out to Michael Martin, who was a guest on our previous episode. This may, may have been our third episode. Mr. Uh, Stinney, the Stinney episode. The Stinney episode. Sure, Stinney, yeah. Which will probably be featured on our patreon right uh mike actually his family is from edgefield so no i think way. That, are you serious yes this is this will really hit home for him he's very familiar with that area his uh grandma has a house in that area it's got and, a bunch of history mm-hmm. yeah so, to that town it's pretty sweet so shout out shout out to mike crazy so tonight our bon appetit if you will is we have some gin from edgefield south carolina from this place called the carolina moon distillery and it is called Becky Cotton Gin. Let me get that bottle real quick. Okay. So the, the inscription on the bottle reads, Dubbed the devil in petticoats, Becky Cotton is the infamous black widow of Edgefield. She murdered her four spouses in cold blood. Becky escaped the hangman's noose because of her stunning beauty. Mm. Becky Cotton's gin lives up to its namesake, best served chilled like the heart of the scorned lover herself. Wow. You will find it beautifully crafted from your first sip to your last. <laughs> I'm ready to taste it. I'm, I'm going to taste it. So what do you, what do you is, think? It is smooth. Very smooth. I don't think I've ever had a gin so smooth. Honestly. To be honest, I'm not a big fan of gin. Yeah. But this gin right here is very smooth, easy to drink. It kind of reminds me of like Belvedere or Grey Goose, where you get that nice little sexy burn at the end. But it's really smooth, though. We were talking about like, are we just going to drink this straight or are we going to have martinis? Like usually whenever I have gin, it's usually in a martini. But um, this is good just straight up. It's great. With some ice and a yeah. little lime, you know. And then for our food, I decided to make some corn fried potatoes. That's not really the name. That's just the name I came up with it because I'm not really sure. Potatoes. It's a recipe my dad made, and mm-hmm. it's basically just cornmeal, like cornbread mix, mm-hmm. with potatoes, and you fry it up, serve it with some ketchup, and it's delicious. I love it. So it's basically if a if a corn dog and a French fry had a baby. Yeah, yeah, kinda. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's gonna taste like anything like that. But <laughs> we don't always have a theme to go with our food, but this one does have a little theme. But we'll have to get into that later. Hmm. Okay. So I will I will keep you in suspense until then. All right. I want to so try it out. Keep your secrets. This is my first attempt at making these. If they're not great, don't get mad at me. It just tastes like a French fry. <laughs> it's good. It's a really crispy yeah. French fry. Really good. 
Could use some seasoning though. It needs some salt. I put some salt on it. I did, but I like them. And my dad has, has always cooked them for me. And I was like, I need a dish with potatoes. I need a dish with potatoes. And I was like, Oh, this is perfect. It's yeah. almost like a, a cross between a French fry and a potato chip. I was going to go. These are really crispy. It's almost like instead of a French fry, I would I would skew that more towards like a potato wedge, which is still kind of basically a French fry. It's just mm-hmm. a, a fat French fry. That's more like it. Yeah. Yeah. They go perfectly with this gin straight up. Do they? Martini. <laughs> Do a little squeeze of lime. Well, I like mine dirty. I'm a dirty boy. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so let's get into the legend of Rebecca Cotton. So the legend of Rebecca Cotton has long been one of South Carolina's most ancient and harrowing tales about a murderess that falls into the realm of serial killers known as Black Widows. Now, what's a a Black Widow? So a Black Widow is whenever you have a serial killer that is female. According to Google here, in more recent decades, it's between 5 to 7% of serial killers that are female. What's particularly unique about the Black Widow is this is a female serial killer that kills their husband. Right, like a Black Widow, like after the, they're done like mating, the, yeah, they, like they the eat the husband, right? Like a praying the, mantis. The spider does that. The Black yeah. Widow spider, yeah. But like a praying mantis, they eat their mate. They, after they're after they mating. mate. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's kind of dark. <laughs> It is. This actually brings to mind another Black Widow. What? That bitch, Carol Baskin. Carol Baskins is uh, not officially a Black Widow, but that's definitely possible. Uh, I, I believe right now they're actually still actively trying to find her husband. How was the the thick potato cake there? Or corn cake? <laughs> what do nice you call and it? Potatoey. I'm. You know what I'm going to call them? I'm going to call them John Cotton cakes, and there will be a reason behind that. <laughs> getting <laughs> getting back to what I was saying, I think they're still investigating Carol Baskins, or not investigating her, mm-hmm. but there's like a private investigator that's it's still searching, looking for into the disappearance of her husband. Right. That's exciting. Yeah. Well, we'll see what turns up. Mm-hmm. You never know. So killing as many as four husbands by some accounts, Becky Cotton was known to be as beautiful as she was brutal like the gin stated. So beautiful, in fact, she could simply bat her lashes to escape justice from battering her spouse. Uh-huh. Oh, thank you. I see what you did there. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> so our main source for this episode comes from the book titled Edgefield, South Carolina, District of Devils by Tanya Guy. And I actually had the unique pleasure of meeting this author when I was in Edgefield one time working. And I did do an interview. It wasn't about this subject, but I did get a copy of her book and she even signed it for me. Really nice lady. We are going to try to get an interview with her and maybe put it up on our Patreon. Is that a picture of her right there? It is. Wow. But yeah, anyway, she's not just an author. She does many things. One of the things I found most fascinating about her is she's kind of what I guess is known as a paleographer. Paleographer? (laughs) What that basically is, is someone who can read like ancient text. You ever see that old style cursive and you can't read it? Right. She can. Which is like absolutely amazing. Is this old English? Right. So a lot of these records that she goes through in her extensive research into creating this book, she literally like transcribes these 19th century documents. It basically is a big help because it helps unravel this mystery that is Rebecca Cotton. Also, something else she does really cool. She actually does these town tours 
across Edgefield and dresses up just like Becky Cotton and tells people about the history of Edgefield, about Becky Cotton and other unique stories. She's definitely living her best life out there. <laughs> she is. I mean, look at that dress. It's beautiful. Right. Because uh, Becky Cotton was definitely someone who made her own clothes. That could be the reason why she got the nickname The Devil in Petticoats. I'm mm -hmm. not 100% sure on that, but she definitely wore something similar to what we have in this picture here. And the cool thing about the Rebecca Cotton story is there's just so many different tellings of the story. Tanya in her book goes into all of them. I think the best place for us to start when we're talking about Rebecca Cotton is the first instance of her name being etched into history, which was in a book written in 1810 by Parson Mason Weems Locke titled The Bad Wife's Looking Glass or God's Revenge Against Cruelty to Husbands. And one thing I discovered about old authors from like the 19th century yeah. is they need to work on their titles a lot because they're like <laughs> super long. That isn't even the full title. I'm not going to say what the full title is because it literally has like so many spoilers. It tells almost the whole story just in the title. It's hilarious. That's hilarious. Um, maybe after at the end of the episode, I'll tell you what the full title is. But When did Becky Cotton die? Just out of curiosity, as far as this, this book was written in 1810. So this is well after. Right. She, so she, she passed away. She right? died in 1807. Oh, okay. And the book was written in 1810. Just That's three, very current. That's yeah, cool. three short years after what happened to her, which we will also get into. Okay. Uh, so it was definitely a fun read. So what happens in Tanya's book is she actually transcribes the entire book of Parson Weems here. So there's a lot of reading you have to do that's 18th century English. Funny thing is, is they try to put little morals to the story. The one that Parson Weems pretty much has throughout the whole story is, is like he's trying to give parenting advice. It seems like he blames the whole thing on her parents, on their parents, which is kind of funny because their so parents are some of the victims in, in this. In so this. even in death, she escaped blame yes yes she will escape blame a lot quite the little fixin yep. she is as the story goes rebecca kennedy and john cotton were married around 1785 i believe she was born in the 1760s i don't know that the exact date but we're gonna skip right up to when they get married in 1785 at first their marriage would be kind of a typical one they had at least five children the children's names were sally didamia or didamaya <laughs> jeremiah John and Brianna, or Byrania. Could it be Didamia? <laughs> Didamia? I don't know. It's unique. I'll give her that. I gotta ask. Yes. Going off of these names here. Yes. Was Miss Cotton a black woman? <laughs> I don't think so. Oh, I was just it, wondering because... I mean, no, I don't think so. We're in the South, and it's 1785. So, most likely, no. Well, I love it. Right. I mean, Byrania... Byrania. <laughs> anyway, so John and, and Becky uh, lived on a farm in Edgefield County. However, their mundane marriage would take a sharp turn after Becky's father, James Kennedy, would have a dispute with some of his neighbors only five years after John and Becky's marriage. We're not positive what this dispute was between Becky's dad and his neighbors, but it seemed like it was something that had to deal with pigs that were being killed by dogs or maybe the 
neighbors were jealous of James's crops. But regardless, this dispute ends with the neighbors pretty much beating up Becky's dad. After James Kennedy is assaulted, he travels to Charleston to seek his revenge on his neighbors by getting warrants filed against them. The neighbors, who were Martin Cloud, Morris Perdue, and James Van, did not take kindly to this reprisal. So one day, they decide to make another visit to the Kennedy farm to put an end to James' retribution, but he's not there. So they travel to his son-in-law's house, John Cotton, and see James, John, and Becky Cotton sitting on the front porch. They approach with their pistols drawn and verbally assault him by saying, Oh ho, you old villain. So you are overtaken at last, are you? On your knees, you damned rascal, and say your prayers, or you'll be in hell in three minutes, for you have only that time to live. Now, Becky starts cussing him out. She wraps her arms around her father and says, if they're going to kill him, they're going to have to kill me too. Now, John, her husband, John Cotton, this whole time is trying to de-escalate the situation. The problem is, is he really doesn't stand up to them. And that's a caution that he'd soon regret. While her arms are still wrapped around her father, James Van, one of the members of the trio, shoots poor old James right through the heart and he dies. The gang flees and because Edgefield is kind of a new settlement at the time, like the Wild West, they escape justice. Well, escape justice for the time being. The legend goes that these three men, Martin Cloud, Morse Purdue, and James Van, all end up suffering a cruel fate somewhat shortly after the foul deed. James Van gets shot in a tavern. Martin Cloud is stricken with a mysterious illness and has to linger in bed for months with pain before dying. The luckiest of the bunch was Pardue, who just kind of becomes depressed and becomes a drunk filled with regret. Now, did Becky have anything to do with their fate? Anything it's like so a karma thing. Mm -hmm. is how the story goes. Remember, this is a sensationalized story from 1810. He's trying to sell these. They're not really penny dreffles because that's kind of more of an English thing than an American thing. Right. But it's one of those little pamphlet-looking books that costs like 25 cents, mm -hmm. and he's just trying to spice it up a bit. Mm-hmm. All right, so back in the Cotton household, there's some discord between John and Becky, mainly because Becky thought John was being a coward the whole time during her father's murder. He wasn't hard enough. She's beautiful, but she comes at a price. I mean, that's some pretty involved shit that he's in now. Absolutely. It actually gets so bad, they start to live in separate rooms. She goes and lives in the loft. He lives in a basement, which I don't know why they have to pick so sad. It's probably because they're trying to make it, at least in the story, that they're as separated as possible. And anyway, Becky, I can confirm right now that Becky was sleeping in the, in the, in the bedroom. <laughs> oh, in the bedroom. Yeah, definitely. Because she's getting what she wants. Right. Absolutely. The thing that hurt me was she stopped cooking for John. Oh. Like he's, she didn't She didn't make him any, no any more cakes. John Cotton cakes. Damn. <laughs> she even begins to despise the children because they remind her of their dad. Now her character is starting to come into question. Right. Here. Absolutely. You nasty little Becky. So, Becky, right. This goes on for months until Becky finally has had enough of living with John, so she starts to think of ways to get rid of him. And at first, she was going to just poison his food, but that wasn't personal enough for letting her father die. So, one night, while John's out having supper at a friend's house, she gets an axe by the woodpile and creeps up to her loft and waits for his return. Wait, 
Zero said, to 100 real quick. <laughs> right, because you said first she was like, maybe I should poison his food or why not just Well, she's already decided murder to kill him, him with an axe. <laughs> right. I mean, God. It wasn't personal enough. He let her die die. Why did he blame her parents? Are we going to get to that? No, they have not to be really. Sadistic That's just kind of like to... the underlying theme of the book. It's hard to explain, but he definitely goes into detail. It's very religious. Mm-hmm. So he thought they grew up simply. That was the fault of their parents. Oh. Hey, these are good without ketchup. I wouldn't know. I ate all of mine. You Each want to try one without ketchup? Of them I Here. dumped with ketchup. It's a nice finger grab. I grabbed the thickest <laughs> one because I like them thick. <laughs> so we keep talking about these John Cotton cakes. <laughs> Later that night, John comes home with Becky's 12-year-old brother, Davey, who we're going to assume was living with them at the time. Okay. John goes to sit by the fireplace for a few hours before he heads off to bed. This whole time, Becky is waiting patiently for him to fall asleep. All of the kids and her brother, Davey, are in the house right now. Right. Just to give you all that are listening an idea of her state of mind at this point. Right. And it's going to get even worse. Around midnight, she stealthily creeps down from the law. But she hears John tossing and turning, so she goes back up the stairs until she knows John is fast asleep. Once she starts to hear the snoring, she heads back down again, axe in hand, and tiptoes over to his bed in the basement. Once at John's bedside, without pity, she raises the axe high above her head and drives it into John's skull, right through his temple, deep into his brain. John's body convulses as the axe becomes embedded in his nervous system. And once she knows John is long gone, she wakes up her little brother Davy and gets him to help her drag John's corpse into the meat house outside. Davy, come on, man. Davey. So Davy, I don't know if she was grooming Davy. This is possibly all made up anyway, but Davy is described as being a gentle person who was completely controlled by Becky. Okay. So she could get him to do pretty much anything. Do you think it's more of a, like a Lannister thing where he may have had the hospital? No. His <laughs> At least they don't sister? they don't get in they don't get into that. I'm just trying to sensationalize hey, I've it just a gotten little bit recently more. back into Game of Thrones. It's possible. I mean she's described as beautiful and she has gotten Lots of things to go her way because of her beauty. But she's also probably very manipulating. Probably goes hand in hand. So once the deed is done, John Cotton is in the meat shed or meat house, whatever you want to call it. Becky decides to go back to bed and sleep it off for a little while. Take a little nap. You know. What else do you do after murdering your husband with an axe other than sleep like a baby? Right. It's like finally she has peace. Anyway, after she wakes up, she goes back into the meat house. And while trying to decide what to do with the body, she sees John's eye move and watches her in a disdainful gaze. <gasps> so for good measure, he didn't die. Mommy, most likely he was dead, but just to make sure, she ties a rope around his neck and throws the rope over the rafters, half hanging him off the ground. Satisfied that he's now long gone, Becky once again gets Davy to help her bury the body in a potato patch. <laughs> that is dark. Uh, I know, John, John wow. Cotton Cakes just got really messed Damn, up now. and I ate all of mine. <laughs> uh, now, as the weeks go by, the townsfolk start to wonder, what's up, where's John? And Becky tells them that John had gotten into a quarrel with a traveler and ran away after John stole the traveler's goods, which doesn't really make too much sense, but her alibi begins to falter even more when she tells a completely different story. It's a story that John had gone away with his dad on an adventure. When he doesn't return, she becomes this dutiful wife worried sick about her husband. (laughs) So she's playing the part. It sounds like her being blessed with so much beauty may not have left her with so many brains. Right. But it turns out she may not need them because even though the townsfolk 
didn't believe a word she said, she still somehow gets off. What happens is they decide to confront innocent Davy about mm. John's whereabouts, and he almost immediately cracks, spilling the bag of potatoes. <laughs> Nothing. Okay. That was a bad joke there. Oh, God. <laughs> Whole bag of potatoes. Well, it's, it, you could After say like. After you the... made me eat these John Cotton cakes. <laughs> it's a uh, little dark, man. Come uh, on. Too soon. A <laughs> little too uh, soon. As, uh, as the neighbors begin to dig up poor John from poor the potato John. patch. God. Poor potato cake John. <laughs> Becky makes a hasty escape, leaving her five children behind. Enraged, the people were eager to find her, and they catch up with her later in the mountains while she's trying to escape. Wait, did you say her name is Becky Cotton or Casey Anthony? <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? She's hot and Damn. she's a killer. Exactly. It's perfect. So they bring her back to Edgefield, and even with this damning evidence, you had Davy basically telling everybody what happened, the body in the potato patch. Even with all that, it seems that bars can't hold Becky Cotton. During the trial, the jurors are so overcome with her beauty, they are seduced into letting her go scot-free. <laughs> this was back in the 18th century, correct? Right. So maybe the jury was, I'm just going to say all white males? Yep. Just as a yep, guess, that maybe? That sounds about right, yeah. Okay, all right. <laughs> There's actually one white male <laughs> uh, who was so overcome with that beauty that he falls instantly in love with her. Stop, Steve. and please they <laughs> get out of they here. They court and later marry. Now, so wait, so uh, one of the jurors, Black Widow, that clearly killed her husband, right, is your choice. What's his name? His name is Major Gellis. Victim number two was his name. <laughs> <laughs> you said Major Asshat, right? <laughs> For Becky, this is great uh -huh. news because Gellis is known around Edgefield as a very respectable and very wealthy well, man. Well, look at Becky moving up in the ranks <laughs> after murdering her first husband. And you it, get it, it sparks this, this new opportunity in Becky's eyes, and she devises a plot to eventually persuade Gellis into forking over all of his property. For the meantime, however, she ends up also setting up her brother, not Davy, another brother by the name of Stephen. Do we know what happened to Davy? Yes. I mean, he's mentioned like one more time in the story, but we'll, we'll get it. He in. doesn't get locked up, though. No, not at all. I mean, accessory? Not in this yeah. story, no. Yeah, so she ends up setting up her other brother, Stephen Kennedy, mm -hmm. with her new husband's daughter. And what she does is she promises Stephen that once he gets married mm -hmm. to one of Gellis's daughters, she'll hook him up with a house and some of Gellis's property with a little land. And it seems, however, that even family members are not immune to Becky's evil schemes. After her brother Steven gets married and goes to Becky so she can fulfill her promise to him, she just laughs in his face and does absolutely nothing. And it turns out her intentions all along were to get rid of Gellis's children as soon as possible because they would be inheriting his land. Ah. He had had kids from a previous marriage uh -huh. and she was just trying to get rid of them. Wow. So that's why she hooked up her brother and that was her whole scheme so in order to get Debbie every and Steven penny. Are the lollipop kids. Yes. The lollipop kids? Suckers. <laughs> <laughs> That's her scheme to get every penny of the estate and finally become that young rich widow that she so desperately wants after the sudden death of her new husband. Wow. But Stephen gets pissed off at this. It's not just because of what I'm guessing would kind of be like an endowry. He was going to get land for the marriage, but she also ended up borrowing like $250 during this process that she had no intention of ever paying back. He gets into a heated argument with Becky and she quickly reminds him what happened to her last husband, John Cotton. 
<laughs> and he backs off. I would too. You win, Becky. So later, Stephen finds out that Becky has concocted this even nastier conspiracy to have him killed by Davy, their brother. So Davey. she got Davy again to do Davey. something messed up, wow. but this time it was to kill their brother, Stevens. In the following weeks, Stephen becomes more restless and more paranoid that his sister's gonna have him killed. And that lasts until May 5th, 1807. While traveling to town, he spots her amongst the crowd. He starts declaring all of her wrongdoings to the townsfolk and further enraged by his own words, he decides to do something himself. As Becky is hanging out on the courthouse steps in Edgefield, Stephen picks up a rock, walks right up to his sister and chucks it point blank at her temple. So he just picks up a rock and throws it right at her face. So Becky instantly falls to the ground with a fractured skull. Stephen picks up the rebounded stone again and throws it right at her face, yelling, there, goddammit, you take that. Then Stephen gets on his horse, gallops away, and not a soul tries to stop him. Here's what happened to Becky Cotton, according to Parson Weems. Bleeding and senseless, she was born to a neighboring house and laid on a bed. This was on Monday about four o'clock, the 5th of May, 1807. Numbers of people went to see her. On Tuesday the 6th, hearing that she was not yet dead and led by curiosity, not to seem, for that was entirely out of the question, I walked over to indulge a glance at her, and though it was but a transient glance, yet did make my own mind an impression which no floods of time can ever, ever wash away. She lay extended on a bed, the linen of which, owing to the hourly expectation of her death, had never been changed, and covered with blood and brains constantly oozing from her fractured skull, presented a sight most ghastly, especially to me, who had seen her in far different scenes of former gaiety and bloom. <laughs> That's pretty graphic. Yeah. Trying to sell those pamphlets, man. That's pretty harsh brains oozing mm. from this beautiful i don't care how beautiful you are you could be whatever your flavor you take is. a rock to the face twice you're pretty much you done you are not hot your paper bag material at that point i can tell you now <laughs> that's terrible do you think anybody maybe have kill build her kill build her yeah what do you mean whenever she was like knocked out in a coma for years oh gross what's wrong with you? my name is buck and <laughs> i like it? to no <laughs> you're sick i'm just saying man she might have gotten killed build i hate to sensationalize this story even more but she already had a lannister situation now she's <laughs> she got a kill didn't. bill situation it's pretty <laughs> ugly and so they actually do save her life and they take her in this wagon that's known as the uh the pussy wagon and <laughs> <laughs> just kidding she totally dies <laughs> what happens to her body is she ends up getting buried in an unmarked grave at that neighbor's family cemetery that was holding her for her brother her brother killed, killed her? her that's how the story goes shit man i thought she was gonna come back from that no, all beautiful no that's how the original that is exactly how the original legend goes man that's harsh it's fucked up but i was kind of rooting for becky her charms have settled deep into my heart let's let's see what happens just kidding she this is just it. A... she deserved that shit <laughs> she did shout out to steven he steven. wasn't taking it. steven's the mvp he's the goat well, that may have been what happened. <laughs> we'll see. Maybe a lot of people thought like that, but let's see how the story goes. So that's just the first account. There have been several additions to the story, and mainly their additions to the number of husbands that Becky Cotton murdered. Well, one author, Miss Samuel McGowan Simpkins, wrote mm -hmm. what's actually the most celebrated version of the tale. Okay. 
And she wrote that in the Charleston News and Courier on April 2nd, 1905, titled Pretty Becky Cotton, Edgefield Murderess, Strange Story of a Wild, Bloody, and Beautiful Creature Who Slew Three Husbands and Then Died by the Hand of Her Own Wronged Brother. They really don't Shit. know how to... I Dude, mean, these titles... Like actually, 100 years later, <laughs> and their titling has still not improved at all. <laughs> not at all. God. Um, so anyway... They McG really need some Google or... M McGowan's ads... Siri or something. <laughs> McGowan's adds two husbands to the tale from Parson Weems' story. One of the husbands, his name is Erasmus Smith, and he has this tumultuous relationship with Becky, and as a result, she drives a mattress pin into his heart as he sleeps by a chair... But she gets another husband, and she kills him by serving him some herbal tea spiked with some essence of nightshade. Is that like milk of the poppy in the game? I think Thrones? I added the essence part. It's just nightshade, which is like a poisonous plant. I definitely just put essence in there, I think. But, <laughs> oh, Game of Thrones, what have you done to me? Um, but it's it's kind of funny because, like, poison is actually pretty common among Black Widow serial killers. Most of the story at this point is remaining basically the same. But the most notable difference from this telling by McGowan's is Becky Cotton dumps all of her husband's bodies into a deep pool at Beaver Dam Creek called Beck's Hole. So no potato patch. They all get thrown into this body of water weighted down. With I don't like know. That's kind of funny like that. that I mentioned Dexter earlier because that doesn't that remind you of like the Bayside Butcher? Yes. Yeah. Pretty cool, right? Absolutely. This also gives way to a ghost story, which is probably why this is the most celebrated version of the story because uh -huh. there is actually a Beaver Dam Creek that runs through Edgefield and her ghost haunts the stream. I'm just the, putting the it creek. out there yeah. right now. When we hit maybe like a thousand subscribers, okay, we should go visit Beaver Dam, Beaver Creek. Dam Creek. You want to go there? Toast some Becky Cotton. Gin. I'm I'm down with that, but we gotta get some more of that. We gotta visit that Carolina Moon Distillery and re up. All right, putting it out there into the universe. We're gonna do this. I, I think we if we get a thousand, we should we should go swimming in Beaver Dam Creek. Damn, yeah. man. He just put the stakes all the way up there. <laughs> all right, we're going swimming. I don't even think it's that deep. I don't if, think we can. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a creek. It's not like it's a river. It's full of shit um, water. <laughs> yeah, from the town we're of We're definitely going to just bathe in their sewage for you mm. all, for all of our subscribers. You're welcome. We're going to do that for you. Mm, bon we love y'all. <laughs> <laughs> now, there are even more stories that borrow from Parson Weems and McGowan's, but for the most part, pretty much they all go the same. There is one more additional murder that's recorded later in an account where she ends up marrying her lawyer, a guy named Burgess White, and she just unexcitingly just shoots him. The best version is the original one, mm -hmm. and she kills Sean Cotton too. To Only me. to turn around and get her head bashed in by her own. Right, mother. right. So you may be asking yourself, out of all these stories, how much of it can be true? Probably not a lot. Now, the people involved were definitely real people, which is cool. Like, Becky Cotton existed, Jog Cotton existed, Becky's dad. All of this extensive research that the author, Tanya Guy, had done proves that they existed. She used census information, court documents, detailed maps, and yeah. That being said, however, Parson Weems, like we already stated before, he wrote this tale in 1810. Mm -hmm. So... This is only three short years after all of this supposedly happened, so he could have easily just added names of people around. 
Right. But yes, John Cotton died, but there's nothing saying how he died. Yes, Becky Cotton died, but we don't know how. Even the people that supposedly killed Becky's dad, all those guys were real. Mm -hmm. But there's no hard proof linking them to killing Becky's dad. And there's no hard proof that Becky was tried for murder or anyone was tried for murder, Stephen included. What about the mysterious deaths of all the people that killed Becky's father? How do you know exactly what I'm going to get to? That is hilarious. Of all the things, how did you... Because you how do you a think great now? job of thinking about what people would want to know when you write your stories. <laughs> it's amazing how you always do that. But So let's get into the hardest evidence that's Because he knows I'm not following along his script. It's it's a little bit too, too cotton. John Cotton cakes. <laughs> what is this drink called? It's just Becky Cotton Gin, man. Raw Becky? Okay, no. How about Raw Becky? <laughs> no, not Raw Becky. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's talk about the hardest evidence against the Becky Cotton story uh-huh. and her being a killer. Now, if you remember, Becky Cotton had five children: Sally, Didamia, 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 Jeremiah. It's, it's not Jeremiah, it's Jemima. Jemima, John, and Byrania. Byrania. Good Lord. That, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> now to a point that Shreve definitely made earlier, but according to the 1800 census of Edgefield County, Rebecca Cotton was listed as having one male under 10, two females under 10, one female 10 to 16, and one female 26 to 45 living under her roof. 26 to 45? That would have been Rebecca herself. Okay. Yeah. So this would have put three children born between the years 1791 and 1796. If Rebecca's father was murdered in 1790 and this caused her to completely loathe her husband for his cowardice during the situation, enough to develop a scheme to chop off his head, well, chop his head in half with an ax, why, oh why, would she continue to have children with him? Hmm. Well, I don't know. I'm not any Becky Cotton or serial murderous black widow extraordinaire or anything, but I can tell you that sometimes it takes a while for the seeds of discord to to sow. (laughs) But I mean, she literally had a kid the same year that John Cotton would have died. And it sounds like she lost her mind. People don't lose their mind quickly. Right. It's just hard to believe that she kept that. And it might have been a post For six years. That's the main issue I have with all this. Because if her father was killed in 1790 and she continued to have kids with him for six years after that, up until the point, literally the same, almost the same year that John Cotton would have died, why would she continue to have kids with him? It does. It just doesn't make sense, you know. Now. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. But, but uh, all that all that being said. They didn't have a lot of contraceptives at this time. And even though you loathe them, this is the one a little bit of strange that you get every now and then so <laughs> maybe i don't know there are some clues that could point to the possibility that the story at least partially is true okay number one there are core documents showing some of these people that were involved in the story had priors stephen kennedy Becky's brother was brought up on charges of assault on October 23rd, 1804. However, he was found not guilty. Now, that doesn't mean anything. I'm just saying... But you're saying this because he's capable of this type of shit. Like, he is known to assault assault people. Okay. Yeah. That's fair enough. Also, the guys that we were talking about that killed Becky's dad, supposedly. Right. All those guys were real. Martin Cloud and Morris Perdue, two of the men responsible for the death, also had priors of assault in Edgefield Court. And the other guy, James Van, 
who actually ended up killing James Kennedy and shot him through the heart. James Kennedy is Becky's dad. And the guy that actually killed Becky Cotton's dad, James Van, right. was definitely shot, just like how the story said he was. Okay. Though there are some disputes if it was the same James Van from the book. It's possible it was a totally different James Van. I will put that out there. Also, something interesting, there are court documents showing that Rebecca Cotton fought Thomas Cotton, which is John Cotton's dad, for John Cotton's estate after the death of John Cotton. Okay. It begs the question why they would be fighting over this land. Right. In my opinion, it was probably because she wanted it for her kids. Even though the book paints her as a bad mother, I think she mainly wanted it for her kids. Mm -hmm. Lastly, probably the biggest clue is that in May 1807, a newspaper called the Augusta Chronicle had a short but profound article that could possibly make this whole myth into a reality. Here's what it said. On Monday last at Edgefield, a brother is said to have struck his sister repeatedly with a large stone on the head, by which the skull was dreadfully fractured. No hopes of her recovery. No what? hopes of her recovery. I would say... Brain oozing out of the side of her pretty little <laughs> temples. I would say that is the biggest clue to making part of this story somewhat accurate. And that is confirmed. Could be fake news. You never know. But it's a paper in 1807. Right. In May 1807, which that is That definitely when, happened, but it might not have been them. And they may have knew that story was already something that's around right. the same time. There's and no just, names. Just tied it's it to It's very it. circumstantial. It's, but still... I like where you're going here. If this is accurate, Sharif, uh-huh. that would mean at least part of the story is true. And Stephen Kennedy, at the time of the murder, would have been around 25 years old. Wow. Now, there are records of Stephen Kennedy past this date of him and a woman named Patsy Ellis, as in Gellis, okay. as in the woman his sister hooked him up with, moving to Mississippi in a place called Natchez, and they ended up having three children. And living happily ever after. And a little house on the prairie. If Stephen actually murdered his sister, is it possible that the townsfolk just covered up the entire thing? Because he clearly murdered his sister in front of people and they just let him go. Is it possible that Becky Cotton, because of her notoriety, because of her reputation in the town as being a husband murderer and getting away with it by John Cotton, that the whole town just covered it up. Mm. And if that's true, then Old Edgefield is truly the District of Devil, which is the title of the book, District of Devils. I love it. Yeah. I love it. You know, honestly, it kind of reminds me of the Lavinia Fisher story that we did. And there are a lot of similarities. I mean, they are both stories that are old and took place in South Carolina. They're both rare female supposedly serial killers uh-huh. they both probably didn't happen i mean the only thing that kind of gets me is that very short article from the augusta chronicle about rebecca cotton and someone on may 7th killing their sister by throwing a large stone at their head that's the only thing that kind of would connect right. this story and it's something easily that parson weems could have found out about mm-hmm. and just made up all the characters that actually existed. What did Major Gellis do when his brother-in-law just straight up took a rock to his wife's head twice? 
Oh, he he moved away. Well, <laughs> he what just, else do you do? He got away with. Peace yeah, out. Yeah, exactly, exactly. He's I like, no, he just, not my problem anymore. Thanks. <laughs> he realized what he had gotten himself into. Yep. Shortly he after, he sure did. Yeah. You can say because as soon as they got married, she instantly made his life hell. Uh huh. Because at that point, it didn't matter anymore. She had him. Right. You know. But anyway, that's that's the whole story. That's that was it. awesome. Yeah. Thanks for doing all that research. Hopefully, we'll get in touch with the author. Yeah, um, that'd be great. I had a lot of fun researching and also reading Tanya Guy's book. One of the parts that hit me hardest was while I was reading the book, I actually have some ancestral ties to this story. Okay. Elaborate. So she goes into detail about some of John Cotton's past in the book. And John Cotton was a loyalist because this is all taking place during revolutionary times. We didn't really talk about that at all, but... You know, I was wondering about that, this and I is, wanted to ask, you know. You know so. Yeah, this is right after Revolutionary War and pre-War of 1812. Right. So it turns out John Cotton was actually a loyalist. That means he was with the crown. He wasn't a patriot. He didn't fight in the Continental Army. He wanted to stay loyal to Great Britain. It turns out... He was in this place called Old 96 District or something like that. He had like 75 men under his command. I have an old family member on my grandmother's side who goes by the name Samuel Hammond, who actually, he was a colonel in the Continental Army. Cool. He dispatched 25 men to fight John Cotton's 75 men, and they overtook John Cotton. And he ended up becoming disgraced and had to move to Charleston and basically got like blacklisted it was funny because you could even be canceled back in 1790 there's nothing new about cancel culture right (laughs) but anyway yeah i was like reading the book and it was like colonel samuel hammond i was like my grandmother's maiden name was hammond i wonder is there a possibility that is wild yeah and then you researched it and yeah well i I just i called my dad and he was like yeah samuel hammond he's buried up in chapel hill or gosh i can't remember exactly where it was but it was near lancaster county is there they have this burial so when we go to beaver dam creek we might have to go visit the grave site well it's almost in the opposite direction yeah because i think they traveled the hammonds weren't the greatest people (laughs) (laughs) i will give them credit they did fight in the revolutionary war and i believe also in the war of 1812 but they just had like a bunch of slaves you know not great great. (laughs) definitely but yeah it was definitely interesting to kind of have this family tie to this story whenever i I saw that you know it was just it was cool thanks Um, for telling us about your slave owner relatives we appreciate that (laughs) okay (laughs) it was on my grandmother's side not not my grandfather's side (laughs) that was a pretty awesome episode we're gonna wrap it up it's great but before we go i definitely want to let you know where else you can find us definitely check out our website at eatdrinkmurder.com yes eventually we'll have merch nipple rings that's what we're exclusively getting into yeah i don't know about nipple rings because um that's a tricky market to get into i meant to tell you about that you can uh email us at eat drink murder podcast at gmail.com edm the podcast is our facebook instagram and twitter edm the podcast yay do it tell us what to eat tell us where to go Tell us some of your favorites. Tonight, we had one of the staples of CD's childhood. So oh, we yeah. Want, well, we want to hear about some of the food that's more like near and dear to your heart. Yes. Also, we're doing South Carolina Strange and Sinister. So we need your feedback. We know where we're going next, but we'd also... What we, else should we do? We'd love to hear people's ideas are as far as what we should cover. Our next thing I'm really excited about, but we'll keep you in suspense until we get there. I'm knee deep into it, and it is going to be pretty nasty okay so can't be any nastier than 
brains oozing out of the skull. Uh, but hey, depends. stay tuned. You never Have know. Have you ever seen a Serbian film? Yes. Okay. All right. God. <laughs> God. All right, everyone. Thank oh, you so God. much for listening. So if you didn't get that again, you can hit us up on our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at EDM the Podcast. Email us at eatdrinkmurderpodcast at gmail.com. That is. I want to thank y'all again for tuning in. That was exciting. Thanks for your research. Buy our nipple piercings. Buy our nipple piercings um, at your local. We don't have any. Eatdrinkmurder.com website. (laughs) At your local EDM website. I love it. Yep. Thank you so much, guys. We love y'all. Oh, that's a hot one. That's a spicy meatball.